pray a moment. Lord, thank you as we come to your scriptures today. Would you, well, Holy Spirit, would you open our minds and our hearts? Would you open my words and would you open this text? Above all, would you lead us to Jesus? It is in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's good to see you guys. It's uh, been a little bit of a while since I've been here. I've been away on sabbatical the past few months. I've been back the last couple of weeks and very excited to be able to share with you and worship this morning. Um, we're in our third week of our series called Daring. We started a couple of weeks ago talking about daring prayer. Last week, uh, we heard about daring to share or to fellowship with other people. And today, I want to talk about daring to invite. In fact, why don't we say that? Daring to invite. It's good for us to hear what we're going to be talking about. There's a story that is told about a famous theologian and really a Hebrew scholar, so one who knew the Old Testament inside and out and was particularly adept at Semitic language studies, Hebrew in particular. His name was Dr. John Duncan. He taught at Edinburgh University And his students, even though he was a Scot, his students affectionately called him Rabbi Duncan. I mean, to to them, he just represented all things Hebrew, all things Jewish. And so one day, these students got into, you know, kind of a debate, a wondering, does this guy even say his bedtime prayers in Hebrew? And they thought, well, what we'll do is let's, let's find out. And so they went to his house in the evening, snuck outside his bedroom window and just sort of listened to see if they could hear him praying. They were expecting to hear some kind of mystical-sounding Hebrew. And this is what they actually heard. He said, Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon thy little child. And that got him listening even more. And he went on to pray this, Pity my simplicity and call me always, Lord, to thee. Pity my simplicity and call me always Lord to thee. It's a prayer of seeking to share in the life and presence of Jesus. Very simple and yet absolutely profound. And it's instructive, I think, for us today. Because to be daring is to seek to share the life of Jesus. And then in sharing his life, to turn around and invite other people to share in his life too. And that's what's happening in the gospel that we just heard in John chapter 1. In fact, I want us to take a look at some of these uh, verses. So you might pull that out and just have it there in your lap. Let me give you the context. You may understand or know this verse. But some of you, maybe this is the first time you've come to this text as you're getting that out. What's happening is that John the Baptist is out in the desert and, and people are, are coming to him in droves. Um, he's at the Jordan River. He's baptizing people. You need to understand this is, this is an inhospitable place where he is. It's arid. It's hot. It's dry. It's desert. It's not convenient to get to. You have to want to be there. And it's several days walk from the nearest towns. And yet people are flocking because John is a prophet, or so the word has gone out throughout Israel, and he's calling people to turn back to God, and as a way of expressing that, they're going into these waters of baptism. So Jesus appears on the scene, not because he's a sinner, 
needing to repent, but because he has come from God to identify and to engage with and to encounter sinful people. And so he goes into those waters of baptism, and John sees the Spirit of God come down out of heaven in the form of a dove, stay upon Jesus. The Father God's voice speaks, this is my Son. And John begins to testify, look, the Lamb of God, this is the one who will be a sacrifice to deal with the issue of sin in our lives. The one who is a willing sacrifice. That's what gets us to our text. The next day, the day after that happens, Jesus was there again. He's standing there. Uh, John's standing there with two of his disciples, verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. This is the one. Take a look at him. And of course, right, when the two disciples heard about this, they followed Jesus. And Jesus turns around, and he asks them, What are you seeking? A lot of the translations actually say, What do you want? And it's important how you read that because it's not like, boy, vey, what do you want? And it's not like, you know, a, a mom at the end of the day who's been dealing with little ones all day long and one more request comes and she's like, now what do you want? What are you seeking? What do you want? It's an honest question that Jesus is asking these would-be disciples and, friends, it's a question that he still asks people today. What is it that you want? What is it that you're actually seeking as you come and you're following along behind me? What are you looking for, right? People come to God with all kinds of reasons. Some people are coming because they're looking for a way to get sort of the problems of life managed. Uh, they're trying to find a way to you know, get their own goals and dreams met, maybe to get just enough financial security to not worry quite so much. There's a lot of impulses that lead people to seek God out. Sometimes it's an issue of fear. Sometimes it's an issue of, I don't know what happens later, but I want to know. And so as Jesus speaks to them, he's asking them, do you want to know me? And I think that's the question that he continually asks. He asks even you and me this morning, as you sit there, as I stand here, as we go about our lives, what is it you're seeking? What is it that you want? Do you want to be with him? Do you want to share his life? Well, these two disciples, and they're Andrew, whom we'll find out in a few verses, and probably the Apostle John, so not John the Baptist, but John who wrote this gospel that we're reading. They responded with rabbi, which means teacher. The text tells us, where are you staying? They begin in the way that so many people do. I have conversations with people all the time. And they say, well, I believe Jesus was a great teacher, a spiritual guide. And that's the same place they're starting out. Rabbi, a spiritual guide, a teacher who might help us understand something about God. That's where they are. Where are you staying? It, it's it's them saying, we don't have all the answers, but we want to learn from you. We want to learn about you. We're interested in knowing something uh, of what John has said about you. We want to find out for ourselves, to align ourselves with you, perhaps to share your life and to follow. Because that's what 
in that day and age, a learner did with a rabbi. They would follow along. And of course, if you've been around here for any amount of time, you've heard us talk about following Jesus. That's the heart of what it means to be a Christian, to follow Jesus. And I love what Jesus does. And, and this is good news. If you're coming in here today and you're kind of nervous because you hadn't been around church in a long time, you're not sure uh, what it's going to be like. Catherine and I got to visit a lot of churches over the last few months, and it's miserable the first time you go to a church. And we're like professionals. We're supposed to know how to do this, right? Are they going to be looking for our qualifications? Are we going to know how to do their liturgy? You know, who's going to be accepting of us? Who's going to be rejecting of us? Jesus doesn't do any of that, does he? He's not looking at their qualifications. He doesn't ask them to break out a spiritual resume. He doesn't say, hey, can I, can I check your rap sheet? Like, do you, have a, do you have a record? There's none of that. There's no interview. He simply invites them to share his life. Verse 39, come and you will see. It's this invitation to find out who he really is. To come and find out for themselves who he really is. It's an offer to take another step, to move closer to him, even though they don't have all the answers yet, but they're hungry and they're interested. You know, there's this great scene in one of my favorite movies of all time, not necessarily a movie for kids, but the movie The Matrix, some of you have probably seen it, and, and it's early in the movie, and Morpheus, who's played by, Samuel, uh, by um, Fishburne, Lawrence Fishburne, he, he's talking to Keanu Reeves, whose character is Mr. Anderson, Thomas Anderson, and he's inviting him into finding out about the Matrix, this mysterious thing, and, he, and they're sitting in these leather chairs, and the thunder's going in the background, it's kind of dark scene, but it, it's this point at which Morpheus holds out Two pills, right? A blue pill and a red pill. And he says, if you take the blue pill, they're just representative of choices. If you take the blue pill, you can believe whatever you want. You'll find yourself in your bed. The story's over. But if you take the red pill, well, then I'll show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. You get to stay in wonderland. And then he says, all I'm offering you is the truth. And, of course, he takes the red pill and the adventure begins. That's a little bit of what's going on here with Jesus as he says, come and see. I'm offering you the opportunity to share in my life. I'm not going to tell you everything that's going to happen so you can carefully manage all the risks of life as we so often want to do. But it is an invitation to know him, to experience him, to come and see who he is for yourself. So 39b, they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. They spent time with him. They, they engaged with him, talking, sharing life, listening to what he had to say about himself. And here's the great thing. I guarantee he was listening to them, listening to their hearts, listening to their stories. You know why? Because that's what he does. He's vastly interested in your heart's story in your life, in the sorrows, in the disappointments, in the joys, in the successes, in the places that you're proud of, in the places, friends, that you're deeply, deeply ashamed of. You couldn't imagine sharing it with another human. And yet Jesus, Jesus is always willing, always ready to hear the person who honestly comes to him 
And so they spend this time with him. We got to go to some great places over the last few months, Israel, Rome, a number of other places. But I've got to tell you, the most important thing that Catherine and I realized in our time away on sabbatical was we have to spend time with Jesus. And so what we've done is we come back and now we're back into the matrix, if you will, of life, into the busyness of it all. We have been very intentional about sitting together each week and looking at our calendars to be sure that the most important thing we do is we work in our time that we can spend with Jesus, which really is more than just the 15 minutes in the car to work. There's nothing wrong. That's a good time to be with him. But to really allow some space and time and to make space and time for each other to find the ability to spend time with Jesus in the quietness of reading the scriptures, in in listening to who he is, in allowing those things that we work so hard and stay so busy to avoid, the cares and anxieties and sorrows of life, to be able to come up for him to speak into. You can do a lot of things for God and be completely empty if you're not allowing him the space to share life so that he can speak to the real places of need that you have within you. And I hope, my prayer is in the years to come, Holy Cross across its campuses will be a place where no matter what else God does through us, we become a people whom, whom others say, well, well, we know they're all about Jesus and they sure seem to invite other people to be about Jesus too. That song, Lord, I Need You, good choice. Well, it doesn't matter, good choice. Right? <laughs> Go with it, Stan. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Do you prioritize life to allow that to occur? Well, we go back to the text, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, who was one of the two who heard what John had said and who followed Jesus, the first thing Andrew did, right, is he finds his brother Simon and he tells him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. There's two things here. He spends time with Jesus, and it isn't even all that long. It's an afternoon, and there's a movement that goes on. And this happens with anybody who honestly spends time with Jesus. He moves from saying, Rabbi, to look, the Messiah, the Christ. Because Jesus wants to reveal to us more of who he really is. But we've got to actually engage with him in order to find out. There's this motion that goes on. That happens with every person who uh, is willing to press in to share life with Jesus. A movement occurs. And it's Jesus doing the moving. And it's not like he's dragging him along. He's vastly interested in revealing himself as he truly is to those who are hungry to know him. So that's the first thing. But then, Andrew's daring enough. Everybody say daring. daring. He's daring enough to invite the person he cares about. And in this case, it's his brother. He's just daring enough to share Jesus, to just share what he's experienced and what he knows. Um, Do we have any new grandparents in the room? Has anybody ever met a new grandparent? (laughs) Here's the thing. Yeah, thank you. Just humor me, thanks. Here's the thing you know about a new grandparent. It doesn't take much for them to be willing to invite you to share the 10 dozen pictures they have on their phone, including the background picture of their new grandchild. 
And why is that? It's because they're bubbling over with good news and they want you to see this new person whom they have met and who's in their life. You're going to get to do that eventually, right? We'll see that over there uh, in your lives. It's natural to share good news. We do it in our lives all the time. And that's what's happening here. He's just sharing this good news about Jesus whom he has met. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided, or another verse down, uh, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. So he finds Philip and he says to him, follow me. There's the invitation to share his life again. You see this repeated over and over and over. The great thing about the Gospels is slow guys like me can figure it out. Oh, this is a theme. This is the way God's heart actually is. He's an inviting God. He's an inviting Savior because he's come to identify with us and help us to meet the, the, the God of the universe. So then 44. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. 46. Nazareth? I mean, you've got to get into this. Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? You've got to be kidding me. That's probably how it sounds, except it's Middle Eastern, so it's loud and big and boisterous, and everybody around is like, what's going on over there? Probably drew a crowd. I'm so thankful this is in the text, because this is so true to life. People are constantly having their preconceived notions stirred up when it comes to God and when it comes to Jesus. Right? You've ever had a conversation with somebody, as soon as you start to have this conversation about God, oh my gosh, all the hurt, all the disappointment, all the arguments, all the excuses are likely to surface. It doesn't take a lot. And what's so beautiful about this text is the way that Philip handles it. Because he doesn't do what we're so tempted to do. Right? You get baited into an argument about the Crusades, and suddenly you're, you're the church's defense attorney. Right? But somebody wants to go nitpick about some minor issue of theology, and it's like, no, no, no. Just tell them about Jesus. He doesn't get baited into the whole Nazareth debate. He doesn't even get baited into the debate about the law and the prophets in this case. There's time for that. He just says, come and see. Now, I may not know about all that, but come and see who Jesus is. Come and find out for yourself. Are you daring, willing enough? Will you just come and see? Let me close with this. I was having a conversation with a guy this past week whom I've known for a while, and he's not Christian. And, and, and if the conversation, he knows what I do, by the way, uh, for a living. So he usually circles around to throw a jab in somewhere about his disappointments with God and the church. He had a, had a rough go. Uh, as a young person in the church. Some of you know what that's like. If you're here today and you've come out of that, thank you for being here. Hang in there. Come see Jesus. Come see Jesus. Come see Jesus. So anyway, in the midst of this conversation, he says the thing that is sort of almost a cliche these days, well, you know, I'm spiritual, but I'm not a very religious person. Anybody heard that one before? And I just said, oh, thank God. Me too. And just moved on. And I asked him, how's your wife doing? And that confused him. Because he's used to Christians then thinking, oh, now we've got to argue over the difference between what it means to be spiritual and what it means to be religious. And I, 
I wasn't going to take the bait. So then we're having our conversation, continuing to go on, along a little bit, and he, he throws that other one out there that is, a, you know, perhaps what he believes or just what he's heard. Well, you know, all religions are basically the same. It's all the same God. And, and, you know, and he just sort of moves by. And I said, you know what? I've discovered Jesus is absolutely beautiful. I wish, I wish you knew him the way I do. And I just left it at that. Here's what's so great about that conversation. We didn't get into a fight because what does that help? I didn't argue with him because that's probably been his experience. I just said, Jesus is beautiful. And as soon as he wants to have a conversation about Jesus, I'm there. But until then, I'm just going to be his friend. I'm going to hang out with him. We're going to continue having our conversations. I'm going to watch for opportunities because he's the one who keeps sort of coming at me. And here's the thing. Most people are desperate, desperate to know who Jesus is. They don't want to have anything to do with religion. But they're desperate to know, is Jesus really who he says he is? The beautiful thing is because Jesus is who he says he is, he's vastly interested at inviting them into his life, just as he wants to invite you into his life. And then hopefully, by God's grace, we'll be daring enough to invite others to share in his life too. Let's pray. Jesus, would you become bigger in our lives? I don't mean in size, but I mean in terms of clarity and delight. Would you allow your love to so fill our hearts that that the shame falls away and the fear falls away and the sin falls away. All the things that would keep us from knowing the beauty of who you really are. And Lord, thank you that you're vastly interested in broken, sinful people. Would you give us such a heart too to love the people around us Enough to say, come and see, come and see. Lord, for your sake, in your name we pray, amen.